Welcome to Seize Your Midlife, the podcast exclusively for midlife women. I'm your host, Bree Schumacher. We are going to dive into all the things from health and hormones to beauty and wellness. We'll be asking the question, what's my midlife purpose? And what am I going to do with the rest of my life? We'll also be interviewing women who've taken leaps or made U-turns in midlife. This conversation is going to be engaging, sometimes educational, a little bit funny, and always real. It is my sincere hope that you find your midlife purpose and lead your most fulfilling life. So join us on this journey to seize your midlife. Let's go. If you are like me, then your to-do list is long. Your responsibilities are numerous. And honestly, I bet you've just been spending a lot of your adult life taking care of other people. And midlife is really the opportunity for you to look inside and take care of yourself, pour into yourself so you can pour better into the ones you love. So much of midlife is on repeat. And that's why Shannon Salentine and I want to invite you to the Seize Your Midlife Retreat. It is September 30th to October 2nd, Oceanside, North Myrtle Beach, a beautiful gated resort. We are going to take a boat out into the ocean and picnic in the sand. You are going to make new friends take time to reset, and walk away with a renewed enthusiasm and excitement. You are going to get unstuck, get off the hamster wheel, and have some real things to walk away with to really feel energized in this next chapter. You deserve this, my friends. If you would like more information on the retreat, if you would like to set up a payment plan or learn more, please email me at Brita, B-R-I-T-A, there, T-H-E-R-E, at hotmail.com. Or of course, visit our social media at Seize Your Midlife on Instagram and Facebook and send me a DM. I cannot wait to see the new you at the beach. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Seize Your Midlife. I am so glad you are here today. Here today, I have with me a special guest. Her name is Ashley Quinto Powell. She is an author, a sales expert, a consultant, a professional speaker, and Time Magazine's Woman of the Year 2030. (laughs) Probably, maybe. Okay, she's not, but she has that on her website, and I just had to share that because I thought it was so funny, and I think speaks to the sense of humor that she has. I love that, and maybe she will be. But anyways, I have to just add that Ashley is not only just a professional speaker, she also gave a TED Talk, and it is so good. I cannot wait for you to hear more about her story, but I'm going to let her story come from her. So welcome to Seize Your Midlife, Ashley. Thank you so much, Bree. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. Okay. And the first question I ask, which is only appropriate here, is how old are you? Today is my 40th birthday. So this is so apropos. 
Today is your 40th birthday? Today, yes. Okay, you apparently didn't get the memo that you don't work on your birthday. (laughs) (laughs) No, you don't work on your birthday, but you do do things you love on your birthday. And actually, um, I'm a big fan of yours, of course, Brie. And also, I love the work that I do. And, uh, you know, it's it's a kick being 40. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, happy birthday. I didn't know, literally. (laughs) I'm surprised just like everybody listening, but that's awesome. And you're right. I think there's something to be said about when you love the things you do, you are excited about a Monday and you are excited about doing those things even on your birthday. So that's awesome. And where are you right now? I'm in Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. You're in Madison, my favorite state, Wisconsin. Okay. But you are not originally from Wisconsin. You are from the Chicagoland area. In fact, you're actually from Chicago. We were laughing about that because I'm from the suburbs and everyone from the Chicago suburbs says they're from Chicago, but you are actually from Chicago. You yep. even went to DePaul in the city. Um, so why don't you tell everybody how you ended up in Wisconsin? Well, you know, my uh, my family had a home in Lake Geneva. And if you're not familiar with the area, it's sort of, you know, like it's a vacation community and people go up for weekends and summers. And my family bought this place when I was in college. And I moved up there to start my first business. I had been in real estate forever. I, I bought an apartment in Chicago. And then my mom really wanted to start a, a business selling costume jewelry online. So we both sold our city apartments and moved up to the lake house. And the rest is kind of history. Well, and you said that while you were building this jewelry business, you built out kind of the back end of your website. And that was kind of what really just t- like made your first love of tech come mm-hmm. up, which really ended up becoming such a big part of your life. Yeah, a huge part. I wasn't consciously getting into tech. You know, business owners do everything. They wear every hat. And I think at the time, it was a little easier to dive in than it would be now. And I, I guess now you have um, Shopify, Squarespace in particular makes everything super, super easy. But I put together a back-end e-commerce solution out of some open source software that I um, sort of hacked together. And I became very, very good friends with the IT support at GoDaddy. And I you know, white-knuckled my way through it. And uh, it was kind of fun. It's an interesting challenge. There's something that happens in tech and programming where you know you have an impossible problem and you can't figure out what the solution is and you reevaluate every single one of your life choices and then you figure it out it was usually like a you know you had one letter wrong and you're like oh okay great i'm moving on nothing is so bad so i went through that over and over and over again and um and fell in love with tech that's amazing and i love and i wish i could say i relate but i do not <laughs> i am <laughs> I am like the person that cannot figure out, like I can barely figure out Instagram. So I appreciate that about you. Okay. So while you're in Lake Geneva, who ends up being your husband? How did that happen? Well, I was at a townie bar, uh, like, you know, like you do. 
I can picture um, it in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) I had had not been, I hadn't been really social while I was there. I think I made friends with like a couple of neighbors and my mom had these really, really interesting older lady friends that I sort of palled around with and they took me under their wing. But I had been so focused on my business that I hadn't really gotten to know Lake Geneva. And a friend of mine came up from Chicago and we went out to, it was, maybe it was the one time we went out to a bar the whole time. And I'm pretty chatty when I have had um, one too many cocktails. And so I got to know everyone in the bar. And one of those was literally the most attractive person I had ever seen. And I was smitten. I was like, gaga. I was heart eyes. I was the heart eye emoji. It was like love at first sight. Yeah, practically. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. And it's funny because I can literally like I have the picture of like the dark towny Wisconsin bar and like the <laughs> you know standing there thinking that you are the most like social person in the room because you've had a couple drinks. Like I I love that I can visualize that. Yeah. Oh yeah, everything that you're envisioning is exactly, exactly yes, right. Yes, yes. I have a clear picture. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> in the middle of you kind of falling head over heels for Sean, your jewelry business kind of takes a big hit because of the recession. What happened there? Well, you know, I think our timing was off. Um, we had a good business, but it was right before people were really buying fashion online. Mm-hmm. And now everybody is really comfortable with, you know, I, I will take a gamble on the quality and I'll take a gamble on how it looks and I'll rely on reviews. But at the time it really was, um, it was much, it felt much more risky. And I think we were, we were before our time and, you know, it was gigantic costume jewelry. You know, I have flair, but, um, my mom was the one doing the buying and the merchandising and her sense of style is really, um, it's pretty cool, but it's not everybody's. We had, you know, we had no like little diminutive pieces. We had nothing that could be described as demure or subtle. And so for, you know, for a certain sort of woman, it was perfect, but it just wasn't for everybody. And it was before its time. And, you know, the wound of that failed business has healed a little bit. And so I can laugh about it, but it was a flat disaster. I lost all my money and uh, had to start over in 2008 with nothing but um, nothing but credit card debt. Oh, my gosh. But you did it. And you then also decide you're going to move to Madison and you end up eventually getting married to Sean, the guy from the bar that you had the goo-goo eyes for. And you end up having two kids, first your son and then your daughter. And at this time, you're working in a high-level sales job that's really fast-paced. Will you just talk a little bit about what it was like to be a mom in that environment? Sure. Well, I had started the job wait like before I was married. I was doing IT consulting sales in sort of a it could be described as a boiler room environment. You know, it was a bullpen of salespeople, mostly men. And actually I loved it. It was uh it was very competitive. You know, there were tough goals to meet and and it was sort of like sales environments that you see in the movies. Um, you know, pretty cutthroat. But I did love it. And then I had, when I got married and had kids, it just started to be a little different and it stopped being, it stopped being fun to, to invest that much in something I didn't own. You know, when you have kids, it really puts a 
punctuation mark on everything you hate about your job because um, you know every minute that you're that you're working someplace it you're not with your children and so it just starts to become more important that the time spent away from your home is is time well spent and it started to feel like it was not time well spent well and you told me a story about something that happened on Father's Day which I thought was really indicative about how they treated moms oh <laughs> so goodness, will yes. you just tell that yeah. So Father's Day rolled around and I think I had just had my second baby and there was a, a an email that went out, sort of like an ad hoc email from a vice president that said, um, we're so grateful to have um, fathers and we're so excited about the sacrifice that you're making and the work that you do. And we're just so darn proud of you. And so if you're a dad, take the rest of the day off. And it was sort of the Friday before Father's Day. And of course, Father's Day comes right after Mother's Day, which hadn't, you know, nobody said a peep about Mother's Day. And um, it just it, like infuriated me in a way that still makes me twitchy today. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just the, I think, the people don't really think. And and certainly that was what happened with this email. You know, it was not it was not malicious in any way, but there was, you know, there's no thought to acknowledge moms. And we tend to we tend to treat moms that way. You know, like it's sort of an inconvenience that people have children. And, you know, like we will accommodate your maternity leave and we will accommodate that you need to leave early or come in late, but we're not in love with it. And I think that is such a bad way to look at parents in business because, you know, Brie, um, like I had kids because I felt settled enough in my job. I was finally making enough money to support a family. And that should be a sign of health for a company mm-hmm. that your employees feel like they can put down roots. And um, instead of thinking of it as a as a sign of health and growth, we like punish people who are ready to put down roots. And it really is too bad because I think there's some merit to well, what I've started calling the family baby index. Like look at a startup. It's all young people with, you know, who can who can live off of nearly nothing and can work all hours. And then when that when that company becomes more stable, when employees can look around at the company and say, well, you're going to be here for 10 years and I feel great about my place in the company, then they start to get married, then they start to have kids. And that should be a sign that you're doing the right thing in your business. Yeah. And I think you said something that that stuck out to me in that that department and kind of what happens with women in business and why, you know, you've talked before in different platforms about how you just don't see older moms, older women in C-suite jobs, you know, in executive jobs. And one of the things you talked about is that when you had kids, people were like giving you tips for how to travel less, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The advice about how to work less or get out of the office faster or you know achieve better balance so that you're not taxed at at work is um is overwhelming and you know it's um it's just one of the things that really subtly gives women the clues that they're not supposed to be in the workforce and that really is to is to our detriment it's to the detriment of our companies as they're growing and thriving um cuz we're essentially taking our pipeline of senior female leaders and sending them home to be with their babies kind of whether or not they wanted that originally or not yeah absolutely and 
you know, you're really feeling this. It sounds like, for, you know, you're in your corporate job. You're not feeling like it's the balance or the culture is a good fit for you anymore. And so you end up leaving for a smaller company, right? Yeah. I went to a tiny company. I went from a, you know, my, the consulting firm that I was working for um, rolled up into a $2 billion. Um, it was the second largest IT staffing firm in the world. And I went to what I think at the time was a six-person development shop. Wow. And culturally, what was that like? What was the difference like working at that small company? It was absolutely night and day. The owners of the company were present and they care about their employees. You know, everybody is treated with respect and it just was a it just was a an absolutely completely 180 different environment. You know, if you uh, needed to take a kiddo to a doctor's appointment, I'm not even sure you needed to say anything um, at the smaller company. You know, they didn't they didn't care. You got your job done. And anyway, they were taking people to appointments and they were acknowledging that they all had lives outside of work. It was And it was really beautiful. But, you know, one of the things that I had, and it's hard to go from and um, you know, a, an environment that has no patience for your life outside of work to um, an environment that really values it. And you, you know, I see it in the people that come work for me at my VA Rocks. You know, it's a it's a little shaky. You don't really know when the bottom is going to fall out or the other shoe will drop because you're so used to, um, you know, whatever whatever small freedom you take, someone says, "Oh." No, no, no. I mean, of, I mean, of course, we value your work-life balance, but not enough to have you come in at 9.30 two days a week or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. So I could see that, right? You come in already feeling like, oh my gosh, okay, if I do this, I'm going to lose my job or whatever. And here you are feeling like you're in a place where this this company, you're safe there. Like you're good. Mm-hmm. But you still are, you know, an executive woman. You're climbing the corporate ladder. And you talk about how – you just felt like other women, your neighbors, you know, people just didn't get you. What was that like or what has that been like for you? I think it happens to particularly career-minded women all the time. You know, we make some assumptions about what women want and what they want to talk about. And, you know, it's I talk about it quite a lot that when a woman becomes a mom, we start sending her recipes and coupons. And that's ridiculous. We stop sending her career advice, you know, where we assume that she's all consumed with life at home, which, you know what, it, it does totally take over your brain. But it's not the whole story. And I was really craving examples to look up to, mentors. And, you know, when you look around, I think especially in tech, there are a lot of parents of toddlers in general, but very, very few moms of middle schoolers and high schoolers. And I, you know, I sort of mused about whether that was because they were being promoted and had huge jobs. Um, in which case I definitely wanted to be their friends, or if they were being um, subtly pushed out and subtly pushed out and then less subtly pushed out of the workforce or encouraged to take jobs that were less demanding. And so I wanted to find every woman at the top and put her together. Well, first of all, I just have to say, I think you're you're onto something. And until I heard you say that about the middle school and high school moms not being in executive jobs or corporate jobs, I, I had never thought about it. But when I look at my you know, friend group or my circle, I think I can think of a couple women who are still in corporate America. That's it in my big Mm -hmm. circle. And I think you are onto something, that there is something there. But, you know, as you're feeling this, 
you are like, there's nothing out there. And so you create it. You create the bossy. Tell everyone what the bossy is and, you know, everything about it, the mission and how it kind of changed your kind of tribe. Yeah. So it, um, it started as a, as a Facebook group and I started putting people in it that I thought fit the bill. And I sort of thought about it like this is for working moms, but not just working moms. This is, these are ambitious moms. These are moms who want to, you know, who are focusing on their career trajectory and that trajectory is up. And I spent maybe the first six months or a year really um, being sort of the only one who cared about it. And after a while, it took on a life of its own and friends started inviting other friends. And it really became a community where you could talk about, you know, you could talk about it being hard at work and get advice instead of about how to balance it so that you could be home more, recommendations for great nannies and great cleaning ladies and recommendations for, hey, here's a here's a system that I use at home that means I don't have to worry about dinner when I'm at work. Actually, one of the smartest things I think that ever came out of that group is that a friend of mine, Ellen, posted that she and her husband keep a Google calendar of um, what's for dinner. And whoever, which either, whichever one of them gets home first, looks at the Google calendar and um, pulls up the recipe and starts cooking. And I can't imagine, actually, I can't imagine that exactly where Working well in my house, but I was flabbergasted uh, because the planning isn't impossible and the execution is beautiful. And it's that sort of thing that we need to be thinking about. The biggest part of that, of course, is that um, if her partner got home first, he did the cooking. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a question of, well, it's my night or your night. It was just, hey, who is home? I love that. And I really love that you couldn't find your community. And so you created one. And um, it's been interesting kind of being a woman in business in midlife. I realized that there's a community missing there. And so I love that you just like said, this is not out there and I'm going to create it. And I know you said it's still kind of continuing on in both Madison and Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it has truly taken on a life of its own. Pre-pandemic, we did uh, meetups and um, we had some really great events. I have, you know, it it should be allowed to to exist and grow and be on its own. And and now I'm sort of focused on some other things, including my book, Executive Motherhood, which I wrote after listening to the advice and the stories of of those women in particular and women at large. And it really has been a wonderful support for me and also a, a source of inspiration. I love that. And I hope for everyone listening that you find something like that where you can connect with women who are in the same place as you that you walk away getting inspiration from because I think that's such an important piece to grow and kind of taking the next steps. And one of the things that you talk about is – how when you're working at that small company in Madison, I think you said it was called Bendy Works, mm-hmm. an opportunity opens up that is in Chicago. And your husband is a lifelong Wisconsinite and he does not want to move to Chicago. Will you talk a little bit about this time and this decision? Sure. Yeah. So um, I think growing up in Lake Geneva, he was accustomed to – Chicagoans coming up on Memorial Day and staying through Labor Day and 
being, you know, on vacation. And so his experience with, um, with Chicagoans was you're terrible drivers. You have, uh, you know, you're rude on the lake. You are drunk half the time. And I think if I had said, Hey, we're moving to a war zone, he would have been like, you know, that'll be fun. But um, Chicago was just absolutely a non-starter. And and anyway, you know, I grew up in Chicago and it looked hard raising kids. You know, my mom had to figure out uh, grocery shopping and parking. And we always lived in elegant apartments, but they were always apartments. And, uh, you know, just in a city, everything is hard. And I remember the first time I went to, well, I just drove to Walmart in in Wisconsin and back, and there was no traffic. I didn't have to fight for parking. I just sort of walked into the store, bought something, and walked out, and then got back in my car. And you know, we, we take it for granted, but when you don't have to, you know, couldn't get to a Walmart if you were in the city, it was just a gigantic pain in the butt. You know, the traffic takes forever. You have to find parking on both ends of the equation. It's exhausting. People are rude. You know, there's just there's so much difficult about living in a city. And Madison is like the cutest little city in the entire world. Everything is just wonderful here. The people are so nice. And I have this whole category of things that I love about Madison. You know, like we don't really tow your car. We tow it to a a legal space around the corner, always within walking distance. You know, there's just lots of (laughs) nice things that Madison does. But Sean was not going to move out of here. I didn't really want to move out of here. We have a great house. We have wonderful friends here. And I, at first, was sort of taking these interviews because it was at a bigger company. It would have been my dream job. The CEO, Mark Rickmeyer, is an absolute visionary, and I really wanted to work under him. And I had known the company for a, a couple of years and had always admired them. It really was my dream job. And I didn't expect to get an offer. And then, um, so I just kept interviewing. And every time my husband raised an objection, I would say, well, they're not offering me the job. They're asking me to interview. So like, let's slow this down. We don't, we don't even need to talk about it because it's not, you know, it's not an offer. And then it was an offer and a good, good friend of mine pulled me aside and said, you know, you should just commute, get an apartment and go down four days a week. And, and that's what I did for two years. I went, um, I drove down on Sunday and back on Thursday night. Wow. And, you know, first of all, I just have to go back and point out like your commentary about the Wisconsinites thinking about (laughs) people from Illinois because I have lived also like you in both places. And anyone listening that is from Wisconsin is like, oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, everyone can relate to that. And your husband being like, nope, we are not moving to Illinois. But anyways, I think about this decision, you know, of four days in Chicago and then three days at home. And that if a man was faced with this decision, a dad was faced with this decision, that we wouldn't really blink an eye. But I think there's something about the way that we treat women. You know, it even goes back to you talking about that, you know, first job in corporate America. We treat women and moms really differently in the workforce and even in our own communities and in our own circles, there is this kind of level of judgment. And it's interesting. I was just talking to a mom um, yesterday at a party and she has a similar situation to you that she's had off and on for many years. She lives, you know, here um, on the weekends and then lives in Manhattan during the week. And she said once she was on a walk and a woman stopped her and said, oh my gosh, are you still working in Manhattan? And she's like, yeah, I am. 
which by the way, she she loves her job. She loves doing that. And the woman said back to her, gosh, I just keep hoping that you're going to get another job so you can be a better mom. <gasps> That's terrible. I know, right? But it is kind of that like, it's that judgment towards moms of like, you got to be there. You you know, it would be better if you were the one home and your husband was out working and, you know, mm-hmm. just that kind of like that different way that we treat moms. So did you face any of that out in your own community or in your circles? What was that experience like for you? You know, I had um, really purposefully surrounded myself with powerhouse women way before heading to Chicago. So in that group, they took one look at the situation and understood what was going on. And mostly, mostly my friends said, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. You know, they understood that I was going to be able to work like I wanted to four days a week and then come home and play like I wanted to three days a week. And, um, you know, I describe it as being parenting wise, like I was a really fun divorced dad. You know, it was always a celebration (laughs) when I came home. I daydreamed about what we would do with the kids. And so we had all these fun plans when I was home on the weekends. And and then of course we had a Chicago apartment. So that's super cool. You know, you can just jet down to Chicago and go to the children's museum and do all the really fun stuff that the city has to offer. But I did get um, a couple of people who were puzzled. You know, I think it's the same instinct that people have when they see someone who's just just had a baby out and about without the baby. They always say, oh my gosh, where's the baby? As if you have accidentally left the baby in the car or (laughs) um, forgotten it in a grocery store parking lot. And, you know, we're, we just don't, it just doesn't occur to us naturally that like, actually there are plenty of caregivers that are at home with that child and that child is fine. Right. Let this poor mother like go get a cup of coffee all on her own. Well, and I love that you just said like, no, your women in your circle, they were excited for you. They could relate to you. And I think that that just goes back to how important it is to create that tribe of women that are building you up, that are supporting you, that are applauding you, that aren't talking behind your back, that aren't, you know, making those judgments towards these decisions. And I think the other thing that you said to me in our call that we did, you know, offline was that so much of parenting during the week is administrative. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that. Sure. So, you know, it is. A, it's a, when I think about the administrative stuff at home, it's cooking dinner, doing the grocery shopping, make sure that there's toilet paper, you know, making sure that the house is generally clean, bath times, bedtimes. Does everybody have homework? Does everybody have stuff laid out for tomorrow? You know, that is not actually quality time. It's certainly important time. And, and you know what? It's a great opportunity to teach your kids how to fend for themselves or or, um, you know, have a fair fight. But it is not actually, you know, the stuff that like raises your children to be great humans. It's just administrative. And for us, dad does that just great. Actually, my husband is a is such a wonderful, wonderful father. And he's just better at making sure that everybody has a bath at the right intervals and making sure that everybody has clean sheets at the right intervals and is eating healthy foods at every meal. I want to be having meaningful relationships with my children, but it just, just doesn't have to be over breakfast or the morning commute. It can absolutely be done, you know, on a um, on a long weekend, on a camping trip, on vacation, you know, all these things that we're, where we really give our children a chance to open up to us and to open up to our kids and, you know, have meaningful quality and quantity time. Um, it just isn't necessary to be done 
while we're ushering our children through the grind of every day. Yeah. And I also think it's important that you're like, no, my husband's really good at these things. He's actually even better than me. And I think in some ways we minimize the ability of men to be in that role and that sometimes that's the best role. And for mm-hmm. your, you know, your parenting that the mom is the one out in the corporate world and, you know, that we should make that a more normal thing that you're like, no, this dad is killing it at the administrative parenting, like you said. And that kind of brings me to the next question. So I absolutely loved your TED Talk. Um, For those of you listening, it's called Dynamos with Kids in Tow, and you absolutely need to Google it. It's so good. Ashley is awesome on the stage, and her message is so great. But one of the things that you said that just stood out to me so much was you said that the single best career decision you ever made was marrying your husband. Why was that? Yeah. Um, So I feel even more strongly about it today. I actually have developed an opinion that one's taste in a partner really does a number on your life for good or bad. You know, we've all, we all have a friend who has, you know, like married someone they don't, they don't really like, or marry someone who's not supportive or, you know, and it's, it's not a, it doesn't make your life happier. And I married someone who, you know, is as excited about my career as I am, who, you know, says, all right, if you want to, if you want to go do this, I'll support you in whatever it is. And I'm sort of at the point where I think if you don't have that, uh, and you deserve it. You do deserve it. You deserve to have someone who says, babe, whatever whatever you want to do, like let's figure out how to make it happen. And if you don't have that, I don't think it's worth having a partner at all because, you know, marriage is work. I think marriage is really hard work if you're not um if you're not in the right partnership and if you're really serious about your career, you need someone who can, you know, pick you up when you've just gotten fired or you've just, you know, you doubt yourself or, you know, you need, you just need someone in your corner. And it's not an, it's not an, that support role is not a, a walk in the park. It's, it's really, really challenging. And you need to do that for, for them too. So I actually am of the opinion that if you have questionable taste in men, for instance, or questionable taste in women, you should focus on your career and forgive yourself and, you know, maybe uh, limit the amount of limit the amount of influence that someone like that has over your life because the right partner is a game changer. Yeah. And I loved how you would say how your husband would say to you, like, get up there, peanut. You got this peanut. Like he would always and first of all, it's adorable that he calls you peanut. Um, <laughs> but I love I just love that sentiment of like, yeah, all the, you can do all the things. And the truth is we all need a cheerleader in our lives that says to us, yeah, absolutely take that promotion. Absolutely start that business. You know, absolutely go on for your master's, whatever it is. We all need someone in our lives that just says, get up there, Peanut. And I just love that. And I hope everyone goes um, after this talk and listens to your talk because it's really inspiring in that regard. So I appreciate that. And Since the two years that you were living in Chicago, you know, there's been a lot of winding paths and roads and pandemic and all of these things, but you go on to create two companies, Ashley Powell Consulting and most recently, My VA Rocks. Do you feel like thinking about, you know, here you are 
today on the brink of your 40s that you have found your purpose in these two companies? Yeah. You know, I really do. In the consulting that I do, I work with agency owners who, you know, have started a marketing or a software development agency because they love because they love the work. They love, um, you know, creating beautiful things. And usually those folks are not uh, fully aware that 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 the head of an agency is a is a 100% sales position. And um, so I help those folks. I help really good people make money and help and grow their businesses and create little empires of goodness. And then in my VA rocks, I had been talking about how people should hire a virtual assistant for a very long time. I had a virtual assistant to support me while I was going back and forth to Chicago. I use virtual assistants for all sorts of stuff in my professional and my personal life. Rather famously, I had checked a box while I was signing the kids up for basketball and they made me the head coach of two teams despite the fact that I only have a vague understanding of how to play basketball. But all of a sudden, I'm the head coach for two peewee Love teams. It. And um, I, had a, I had a virtual assistant scour the internet and find videos of peewee practices. So I would have an idea of what went on there. And then the VA took care of all of the um, parent emails and the snack signups and the reminders. And so I really got to show up on Saturday mornings being like the world's best, most enthusiastic coach, you know, like gripping my clipboard and being... Uh, very, very nervous that someone would figure out that, you know, I was completely winging it. But I use VAs for all sorts of things. And I have been telling people, especially moms who are, you know, juggling all the things, like, you need, we need help. Really, that is what we need to be offering women as they're saying, like, hey, this is really tough. They need help. You know, we um, we put a lot of stock in self-care and yoga and getting sleep and getting exercise. But we we really don't say, hey, how can I help you get where you're going? You know, if you're watching someone run a marathon, you don't tell them to slow down. You probably don't need to run all 26 miles. Like, you know, you probably don't tell someone like, you know, you're not going to put marathon runner on your gravestone. No, you get them uh, a, some water, you get them a power bar and you um, and you cheer them on. That's what you do to someone who's running a marathon. And we need to start treating career moms that way and really supporting them. So, you know, I've been talking a lot about I mean, you can hear me getting like so excited about this. I've been talking a lot about how unfair it is to expect moms to do everything, to be carrying, you know, all the weight of being a great mom and a great person in your career and a great partner. And, you know, we, we just carry a lot of burden. And so I've been talking about how unfair that burden is for a long time. And then in the pandemic, when um, pandemic parenting became so hard, I knew, I mean, I was, I was, I talked about it like, um, especially at first when everyone was like, you know, posting on LinkedIn, like, well, I'm so excited to spend time with my kids. And, um, you know, we're so grateful for the time. I'm sorry, but whoever said that they were grateful for that time is either lying or on drugs. <laughs> it was so hard to, you know, everybody was trying to keep up the work that they were doing as a professional and then maintain 
sanity at home when all of a sudden everything was taking place in your kitchen and your children needed to be homeschooled. I mean, it was a, it was an absolute unqualified nightmare. And I knew I, you know, I was from a place of privilege. I, I owned my company. So if I miss every deadline and every goal I set for myself, I still get to keep my job. But um, if you had a boss and an annual review, there were not many ways that you were going to survive that. And so I I could see that we were going to lose women from the workforce at a huge rate. And we did. We lost somewhere between two and five million women in the workforce in 2020 alone. And so in thinking about the ways that we get women help and looking at what I knew would be this incredible pool of talent that had essentially been sent home. You know, they're not less qualified now that they need to work, you know, less hours or they need to to work at nap time. And uh, so I started my VA Rocks in order to sort of tap into that talent pool and offer a soft landing for folks who needed it as they were navigating career and home. And, um, and on the flip side, I really wanted to provide career women with help to stay in the workforce or to finally make it to CEO or finally, you know, push ahead. And, and the combination of that has been, has really felt like a culmination of everything I've been working on for a long, long time. Oh my gosh. Well, there's so much to unpack there. The first thing I want to say is whether, you know, if you were listening and you are not an executive mother or a corporate mother, that same need of being able to ask for help, like you said, the water, the snacks, what you need to keep going the marathon because you can't drop out of mothering, right? I remember mm-hmm. distinctly sitting in the car with one of my friends after our book club and I was like lamenting my week ahead and how I was going to get you know, the kids driven three different kids to three different places. My husband's traveling all the time. You know, how he's going to do it. And she was like, girl, you need to hire a driver. You need to hire a, like a high school kid mm-hmm. to drive your kid. And I was like, oh my gosh. It was like a light bulb went off. Like permission to just ask for the help because no matter if you're in a corporate role or not, you need help in these in the endurance that it takes to become, you know, to be a mother and to do all the things. So I love that. On a just sidebar, will you give people just the quick Wikipedia version of what a virtual assistant is? Because not everyone listening has ever even heard that term. Sure. So a virtual assistant can do essentially anything that an in-person assistant can do. Uh, They're just in their own home or at a coffee shop. We manage a lot of calendars. We manage a lot of email um, we do inbox management, which is is the most magical thing if you're overwhelmed by your own emails, which I am. They're like a dark cloud in my business mm-hmm. life. Um, and so I have someone else take care of that and bubble up the stuff that really only I can respond to. And uh, we, we post on social media for clients. Um, we do outreach. We help um, clients get on podcasts. We help market their books. We help edit podcasts. We do graphic design. You know, there's, um, it, it actually is pretty neat because if you're running a business or a family or both, there are times where you need an assist. Sometimes it is for everyday stuff like, um, you know, hey, I need you to find time in my team's calendar for us all to uh, for us all to get together, or I need you to reach out to the clients from last quarter or whatever it is. And sometimes it's stuff like, you know, I had a virtual assistant 
work on my daughter's birthday present. I bought her basketball tickets because she loves basketball. And it's a, you know, it's a barcode. You don't get tickets. And so I had a virtual assistant create this super cute little invitation, like from the UW women's basketball team and tickets that, you know, she could, she could unwrap. So there's all sorts of stuff that you can use a virtual assistant for. And like the latest thing I'm kind of obsessed with is having a VA write your handwritten notes uh, you know, you just sort of say into a, a voice memo what you want the handwritten note to say, and then she'll send it out. It's beautiful. It's just a magical, magical occurrence. I love this. And I actually bet a lot of women listening are thinking to themselves, they could be a virtual assistant. So tell me like a little bit about like if they go to your website, can they find out more and what your website is? Yeah, our website is myva.rocks, R-O-C-K-S. And there's a button on the upper left that says, I want to be a VA. And I, what I'm really looking for in particular, actually, is someone almost really consistently have, um, have something open because we're growing so quickly. But I found that really excellent virtual assistants have been in the shoes of our clients before. One of our VAs is a VA because she um, took a step back from her business, which took a deep dive during the um, the pandemic. And um, she talks about what it was like to have to schedule bathroom breaks for herself. Wow! You know, if you if you haven't actually been there, it's hard to have sympathy because it sounds so ridiculous. What do you mean you had to schedule bathroom breaks for yourself? Well, you know, you go back to back to back enough, and that is exactly what happens. And so it's just really handy to have someone who has empathy for what it is to wear every single hat and to um, you know have a bajillion things going at once and uh, and to have that be really that's the ideal. Well, and I love that too because there's so many women, like you said, that have left the workforce not only during the pandemic, but before that, because they were, you know, parenting their kids and they were executive women. They were executive women, those exact women that you're talking about that had to leave a company because they didn't have a place anymore and they have incredible skills that are not being used and they don't know how to get back in. In fact, there's a show that I was I binged seven seasons. It's called Younger and it's about this woman who's 40 who had been home with her daughter and now she's going through a divorce and she's trying to get back into the workforce and no one will hire a 40-year-old woman, you know? Mm. And so she ends up lying on a resume that she's 26 and it's a super funny story. But the <laughs> solid part of it is that that's a reality, that there's these women mm-hmm. who, one, maybe they can't find a job where the schedule fits for them because they still have to drive their kid to soccer at a ridiculous 4.15 p.m. Or they cannot find a company to hire them because they've been out of the workforce. So I love an opportunity like that, not only for women that are listening to use your services, but to become virtual assistants. So thank you for sharing your website because I think that's just – that's awesome and you're definitely onto something in so many different avenues. And you have a book too. Like I don't know how you have – you must have more than 24 hours in your day. <laughs> but um, you yeah. also wrote a book in addition to having – to businesses that you're running. Tell us about your book. I knew you mentioned it briefly, but I want to hear like more in depth. Sure. It's called Executive Motherhood, The Art of Having It All Without Doing It All. And it came out a couple months ago. I am so stinking proud of it. Um, you know, it's sort of a, it's meant to be a funny, fun 
business book. And, you know, I, in there, I talk about the things that I have seen other women do to crush sort of work-life integration. And, and I talk about the, you know, the ways for, um, for success or failure that we have, um, that we have tried it. I talk about, you know, I have an orange living room because I, um, gave up control of my house when I went to Chicago and, um, in taking, you know, in making the space his, he wanted to paint it orange. And um, in that example in particular, I think you get to be either a micromanager at home or out in the world. You don't get to be, you can't be both. You don't have time to be both. You have to surrender. (laughs) And actually orange is, um, I joke that the orange is exactly the color you're hoping it's not. Oh my God. Um, You know, it's, it's not, we are not a subtle, we are not a subtle people, but I talk about all that sort of stuff. And my intention is that it's, um, you know, it's inspiring and helps people, women in particular, stay in the workforce and stay charging ahead. I love that. And where can people find the book? You can find it on Amazon, and um, it's available now as a paperback and um, and Kindle. But I'm working on the audiobook now. Ooh, I love that. That's awesome. And will it be your voice? Of course. Yay! Because you have a great speaking voice. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Um, and you have called yourself a self advocacy expert. So, what would you tell women listening? Because I think that a lot of women in midlife have put themselves last. What advice would you give those women to advocate more for themselves? That is a huge question, Brie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the <have> mini answer. <laughs> um, you know, the um, the reason that I think about self-advocacy so much, you know, sales is really self-advocacy. Um, and really so is jockeying for time and space for your family as you're working. That's all self-advocacy. Pushing yourself and your career forward, that all ends up being self-advocacy. And, you know, we, I think people in general, not just women, but people tend to um, assume they're going to know what an answer is before they ask a question. And men are really, really good at this. I often joke that, um, that like men are so great at doing extraordinary things while having no talent. And here we are, we have exceptional talent we should be doing really great things. And, um, you know, it's a little tongue in cheek, but we really are. I mean, we are um, talented. We are energetic. We have so, so much to offer. And and the opportunities don't knock on our door. So we just have to figure out, you know, how to be the one for ourselves that, um, that asks questions and figures out what possibilities are and is continuing to talk about um, what you want and how to get it. Uh, I think all of that is super powerful. When I love that your answer was not about like you do journaling or yoga or, you know, that those kind <laughs> of things, which I think a lot of times those are the answers that women get, right? right? I like that you're like, no, you have talent and you should step into it and you should, you know, find the opportunities for you. And I love what you said about men kind of, you know, they just have this you know, maybe swagger or self-confidence of being like, yeah, I can do it. And women tend to have the opposite. And so I love that encouragement of being like, no, women are just brilliant and gifted. And, you know, instead of kind of making ourselves small, we need to make ourselves bigger. So, you know, thank you for that. And just my final question to you, you know, on your 40th birthday, which is so awesome, do you feel like midlife is a good time for a woman to take a leap or make 
a U-turn. Oh my goodness, yes. I feel like I am just getting started. Like this is, you know, I reflected this morning on something my mother said, my, or my mother has been saying for years and years. And she is, um, my mother is this tiny, she's 70 something. She's, I mean, she would be horrified if she knew I mentioned her age or even alluded to it. And she's, uh, she's very glamorous. She's very, very beautiful. But one of the things that she has always said is you're not even attractive until you're 40. Like, come on, you're not, like, it's not, you're just, you just don't have an opportunity to be attractive because in your teens, you're like, you know, trying to, um, to you're trying to dress like, um, like some sort of model. Um, and then in your twenties, you're trying to, you know, figure yourself out and you're trying to date and you're trying to, you know, get people to take you seriously. And then in your thirties, you finally like figure out how to dress for your body and what the right haircut for you is. You stop following trends and you stop caring what other people think. And then by the time you're 40, you have all of it together. Um, and you, you know, you have like the best, you have the best opportunity for a glow up because you, you know, you finally have money to buy good clothes and good makeup and get a great haircut. And you finally can, you know, put it all together so that it looks really awesome. But, and I think that that's sort of a metaphor for like the whole, your whole life. It's not just your looks, it's your, your attitude and your skill set. I mean, I look at the work that I spent in corporate as some real serious dues paying. I couldn't have gotten to where I am now without all of that hard work and all of that learning. But we finally have an opportunity to say, all right, now I did what you wanted me to do. And I went down the path and I learned all the things and I got good at what I'm really good at. And now I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And I think that that is so powerful. And I just love to see women coming into their own and really embracing who they are as a businesswoman, as a parent, as a woman. It is incredibly, incredibly powerful to be in a space where you know exactly what you want and you know exactly what you're doing and you just can go get it. Oh, I love that so much. And I love that you said, I feel like I'm just getting started. And I hope that every woman listening, just that is like the takeaway because I think so many people feel in midlife like they're stuck. And I think if we can reframe and say, I'm just getting started, it opens up a whole world of possibilities. And like you said, that idea of like you are going to glow up, not just, <laughs> you know, in the great way that like you know you're going to not wear the mom jeans you're because they're even though they're in style, you are going to wear the jeans that fit your body because you've spent all these years learning those things, but also in all your dreams and your ambitions and stepping into those things. So uh, thank you so much for all your words and tell people where they can find you. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Ashley Quinto Powell um, or at ashleyquintopowell.com or at myva.rocks. Yay. Thank you so much for all your words of wisdom and sharing your story today. It is inspiring. And I hope everybody listening goes and takes time to visit your websites and listen to your awesome TED Talk. So thank you so much, Ashley. Bree, thank you so much for having me. Uh, and thanks to all of you for listening. I am so very grateful for you. If you have a moment and can share the podcast with a friend, I would greatly appreciate it. Or even better, give it a review or give it a five stars. The more women that join in on this conversation, the fuller it will be. Have a great day, my friends, and glow up. Glow up.